You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. And we're back for an all-new Keep It Home Edition. Hey, everybody. Hello. I think I've watched every movie. There are no movies left. You have to tell me where to go next. (laughs) I personally spent all my money FaceTiming Black China. (laughs) If you didn't see, that cost $250, so it's all gone. Times are hard. They're Mm -hmm. not letting her film her show with Tokyo, so. You got to get it where you can. (laughs) I don't blame her. Yeah. In this episode, we have... A very exciting guest, Miss Allison Pill, will be joining us. She's on the stage. She's on TV, movies. There's nothing she doesn't do, actually. Wow. Yeah. She probably solves crimes at night, too. <laughs> no kidding. Every once in a while, she looks at the camera in a way, and she looks exactly like Ellen Page, too, which is frightening when people suddenly look like somebody else. And also, the bolt cutters have been fetched. We will be diving into... Fiona Apple's latest album, Fetch the Bolt Cutters. Which Pitchfork was nice enough to give a 10. I hate how much that means to me when I read <laughs> yeah. like news like that. Like, oh God, now I have to pay attention. It's like, Pitchfork isn't my friends. Why am I taking your advice? I found that so obnoxious the day it dropped. Everyone sharing how much they loved it on social media and also sharing the screenshot of Pitchfork's 10 review. First of all, if you look at the history of Pitchfork reviews of albums by, I don't know, any woman, um, (laughs) none of them get tens. They barely get eights, if we're being honest. And um, it was also the last ten since My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, and Mm. I know that's not right. (laughs) A whole decade? Right. I find that they will never stick their neck out for like a, a woman who is less than like affirmed cool among men, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, but I mean, I'm happy for Fiona Apple. We'll get into Fiona Apple. Mm-hmm. Sorry, but, uh, I'm, yeah. I'm starting early here. <laughs> anyway, uh, we will be right back. Well. It's day 1,000 of this quarantine, and (laughs) we've already had at least 20 We Are the Worlds. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, what was the what was the charity single from like 15 years ago with Alicia Keys and everybody taking the blindfolds off time and again? What was that? What's What's going on? What's going on by Marvin Gaye? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Were they trying? What were they trying to raise money for? That's a good question. It had something to do with Bono and the Gap. I think there's no way of remembering, but they were singing "What's Going On," and to this day, I wondered what is going on with them. What was going on? Truly, side note: Bono's whole red campaign for the Gap was when I worked at the Gap in college, and Oprah came to the Gap on Michigan Avenue and gave everyone red campaign shirts wow thank you and now what oprah (laughs) altruistic altruistic 
<laughs> a red campaign shirt and then Dr. Oz and Dr. Phil on TV trying to kill us. It is very strange <laughs> that people Oprah has endorsed are now just full lunatics on TV holding up actual bottles that I think say snake oil on them. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure Nate Burkus thinks 9-11 was an inside job too. <laughs> <laughs> I miss him. He, he was one of the good guys. Uh, but... As we're all still in the midst of this quarantine, what has everyone been consuming this week? I finally started reading again. I've decided to strain my eyes away from Netflix and Hulu and, oh my gosh, all the different streaming services that I have. I feel like I have watched everything on them. I am reading um, Ocean Vong's On Earth Were Briefly Gorgeous, which I've read a lot of his poetry, but never gotten a chance to read his novel. So yeah, just crying my way through that. Um... It's hard to read with tears welling in your eyes, it seems. But uh, I've been watching Too Hot to Handle on Netflix, and I know I saw you posting about that, Ira. This is Girl. the most insane reality show I think I've ever seen. It's like The Circle meets Love Island meets an Amish community. Like, there's, <laughs> they're not allowed to have sex. It is a blatant ripoff of Love Island, by the yeah. way. Mm -hmm. And they even went yeah. out of their way to get a lot of Irish and British people. And it has that same, like, <laughs> he's a geezer. He's yeah. a geezer. So, like, Too Hot to Handle gathers a bunch of hot people from around the world. Allegedly. Allegedly hot people. <laughs> they keep saying these are the hottest people in the world. And I have doubts. <laughs> <laughs> has the detective because, work because, really been done? Yes. Because I have eyes. A You're lot Meryl of the guys. in the movie Doubt. <laughs> I have a lot now. of the guys just have abs. That's true. That's it. That's That's it's easy to get it confused. It's easy to get yeah. it confused. The concept of the show is they've all been brought there thinking they're going to have a hot, sexy summer. And instead, they are told that they cannot have sex with one another. They cannot kiss. They cannot masturbate. But in essence, it is still a dating show. Like They're required, well, encouraged to make conversation and deep emotional connection and there's a just like similar to the circle there is a device like an alexa a siri her name is lana that talks to them and doles out when they can kiss each other and if they do kiss outside of the perimeter when they're allowed to kiss that costs the whole team thousands of dollars i call this show a catholic education some of you did not grow up <laughs> get with ccd properly learning about christ it's also an amusing show to have dropped now because everyone is under quarantine and we're not touching people. Mm -hmm. So the concept of it feels even more chilling and dystopian than it would have, I feel like, if we were just living our lives normally. And even more so sexually frustrating, at least for them, there is an end in sight. For us, we might have a dry spell for months, so... Strap in, boys. Oh, God. Literally strap in. Wow. Yeah. That's really <laughs> um, no, uh, so my friend uh, Andy Heron, who I bring up all the time, who's obsessed with reality TV, won the show Big Brother. He says this is like this show, like Netflix in general, all their reality shows feel like pale imitations of really good reality shows like Survivor, etc. Is this better than, oh, I guess you, you guys love The Circle. Never mind. I'm talking to the wrong people. <laughs> No, would I you say this? Would you say it's better than the circle? I personally find it better than the circle. Yes, I like that they can actually nice. interact and they're having to refrain, not being like separated from each other deliberately. Like there's a whole other level to it. It is better than the circle, but it is not cast as great as Love Is Blind was. Mm, okay. See, I already forgot about Love Is Blind. There are no true insane standouts on 
too hot to handle the way we had like a Jessica on Love is Blind. Mm-hmm. The previews of this show reminded me of, do you remember the Wild On on E? With the, uh, that 2000 show where they would visit like resort destinations around the world and then blur out tits. Like it was, it was like <laughs> softcore porn, softcore porn for people who couldn't even get softcore porn channels. Yes. I would recommend watching it if you kind of like want it on in the background to be funny. Like it's a very funny show. It's I, unfortunate. I'm laughing right at these stupid, stupid people's faces, but yeah. it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> the, the, the draw to these shows is always just that the, it's hot people who are very dumb. All right. I mean, I don't yeah. hate that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Lewis, what have you been into? Um, well, as I said, uh, being myself, I went ahead and watched some movies. A strategy for quarantine that I have enjoyed is picking an actor you're obsessed with and just going back through things that you've either uh, you, you saw once and have forgotten about or you just it should be fresher on your mind, whatever. I have been obsessed recently, and I know we've talked about him on Keep It a little bit, but Jeremy Irons, who mm. most people know from being um, Scar's voice in Lion King. but I've never known uh, you to be into a male actor. It's very shocking. <laughs> I, I, we have to keep this episode between us. It's gross. <laughs> but there are, here's the thing. He is very talented, but the reason I'm obsessed with him is some people just have actual grandeur about them and you kind of can't believe they are real. There is this true murder mystery butler slash Sherlock Holmes slash slick, sexy weasel vibe that he gives <laughs> that he doesn't have to try to give that is in everything he does. So a couple movies I rewatched were the movie he won an Oscar for, Reversal of Fortune, where he plays the, I mean, I'll say it, killer, Klaus von Bülow. I mean, like it was never, he, he never went to jail or anything. A couple things about that movie. One, it's totally a win like Anthony Hopkins in Silence of the Lambs where the movie is about him, even though he's not really in it as much as you think he is, which is always kind of crazy to me for like a lead actor win. Secondly, we fully have a two-hour movie where Glenn Close's body is just thrown around. Truly, she's on the bathroom floor. She's being turned over in the bed. She's mostly in a coma throughout the movie. The movie's about this guy, whether or not he um, poisoned his wife with insulin. Um, And it's her job to be a cadaver, essentially, the entire movie. And this is well after she's been nominated for a whole bunch of Oscars, so crazy. And I also watched the movie Damage with Jeremy Irons, which uh, is about a guy who has an affair with his son's fiance, who is played by a very young, mean-looking Juliette Binoche, which is the Juliette Binoche I want. (laughs) Um, It's both an erotic thriller and a family tragedy. And those might be my two favorite pairs of words in the English language. So I really recommend going back and watching that. There's a campy twist at the end that I don't love, but... uh, yeah, obsessed with Jeremy Irons. And then I told this to my dad, and he goes, well, have you seen Brideshead Revisited? The whole Brideshead Revisited miniseries from the 80s is on Amazon. Now I have to watch that shit, too. <laughs> <laughs> I have seen Brideshead Revisited, and I quite enjoyed it. Oh, okay, good. He's a tall, sexy weasel. I mean, there you go. Yeah, I mean, and he loves a movie about an affair. Uh, he's in one of the better adaptations of Harold Pinter's Betrayal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. With Ben Kingsley and Patricia Hodge. So that is a film. I should actually rewatch it because I still have the taste of that horrible Broadway version. Oh, right. Yes. In my brain. Mm-hmm. It, it was truly awful. Yeah, that's a shame. I fell asleep twice. Right. Also, straight people, if you want to watch Die Hard 3, he's in that. I mean, like, whatever. Enjoy. Yeah. And he's Alfred. <laughs> oh, right. In, like, Justice League or whatever. Imagine me watching that. Yeah. <laughs> Since I don't really care for male actors, I got into Miss America this weekend. Oh, duh. Yeah. You know what? 
I'm not loving it. I think it's ramping up. I think it's getting to the best because it's like intensifying a little bit. And of course, every movement on Kate Blanchett's face is just exquisitely complete asshole conservative lady from St. Louis. Like, I'm loving that. I've really decided that she's probably one of the best actresses that we've been given. Thank you, Australia. Like, thank you. She's <laughs> such a beautiful woman. I want to go back and watch her entire catalog over. But Ira, I will disagree with you. I do really like the show. I feel like. Kate is unfortunately a bit on autopilot in this show. I feel like we've seen this from her before. And I feel like the story around Phyllis Schlafly isn't as exciting as the creators want us to think. First of all, there's that note in the beginning of each episode about how this stuff really happened, but also like things have been fictionalized in order to be able to tell the story. And it's clear that we didn't know that much about this woman's interior life. So in order to make a conservative racist woman, whose racism is also swept a bit under the rug um, in this series, um, imagining her interior life as this just sort of like unfulfilled housewife who's treated horribly by her husband. And it's, I just feel like liberal stories always imagine that conservative women are just like, sexually unfulfilled and generally sad and that's why they fall prey to conservatism instead of imagining that they could be just as cravenly evil as men who love conservatism yeah right 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 i i will say though i think it presents a plausible backdrop for why she is the way she is why she's so um, machiavellian when it comes to like knocking down the era and stuff um, but one thing I question is whether or not Phyllis Schlafly was just simply that brilliant. Cause this person in this show is, uh, uh, super canny. Yeah. Like she's like in charge of the narrative. And mm-hmm. I just, I wonder how true that is, yeah. but really I want to say, uh, I think Kate's great, but I think Uzo Aduba, this is like the best performance she's ever given. She is riveting. And the little bits we got of her in the first two episodes, I was like, I need more. And then the third episode is about her. And that is a fucking showcase. I want a Shirley Chisholm series starring Uzo. I want a Shirley Chisholm stage play. I want a biopic. She has never been so riveting as in that episode. And I just feel like, one, it has so much to say about a woman trying to run for president and a black woman. uh, And it feels more current to me than a lot of the Schlafly stuff. And it's just so nice to see Uzo doing something besides walking around in that fucking ugly prison uniform. Yeah, and, yeah. Hit, and, 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 hitting, and hitting herself in the face, playing crazy eyes. Truly a prison that she was locked in for, I feel like, for, I feel like two decades. <laughs> Fetch the um, other bolt cutters, yes. <laughs> I feel like, well, the thing is, when I was watching it, of course, it's about Phyllis Schlafly and her newsletter and that storyline, and that's important as well. I think you're right, Ira. But what I really enjoyed about the show was that, you know, when it had Gloria Steinem's character in the second episode and she got that feature and it's played by Rose Byrne, who does an amazing job. I mean, you can barely see her face in it because her hair is entirely covering her. She looks face. like Cousin It. 
in this show. Just you know long what I hair. Looks, I think she looks like um, Jackie Jormchomp from 30 Rock, like Jenna, dressed as Janice Joplin. Yeah. So, but uh, that, and I, I really like the juxtaposition of those two storylines. And I think it, they did a good job at showing the sacrifices that women have to make on both sides, like the self compromises that they're going to have to make just to get ahead. Yeah. So um, I think they did a good job at showing that, and that was fair. But yeah, I do think you're right, Ira, that, that I don't want to see that storyline. How about that? wacky portrayal of Betty Friedan. By Tracy Ullman, who is <laughs> yes. truly like, I, I mean, there's there's no other phrase for this, wilding mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Every scene, she's like, I'll be the spokesperson. I'll do this for the women's movement. And mm-hmm. Bella Abzug is like, Betty, can you shut the fuck up? You wrote a book 15 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Margot Martindale also like, um, exquisite. By the way, a couple of things need to be noted about this show. The aesthetics, I, I just the nineteen seventies are just the best decade. Just I, I love, I, I love the aesthetics. It's it's perfect yeah. for white people look good in the aesthetic, yeah. and black people <laughs> mm-hmm. look amazing in clothes from the seventies. You will not find Uzuwa Duba in an outfit that is less than a ten. Every pattern is astounding. And by the way, can we talk about? the rotary phones on this show. I love me a midnight blue rotary phone that I can pick up and bark some mortars into. That is exciting. Uh, but I am interested in seeing more. It it, pick, it definitely did pick up by the third episode. It ramped up. So um, I want to see what else they have to offer. And um, speaking of portrayals of um, people with shades of gray, I also watched... The Last Dance on ESPN. Did you watch some of that, Aida? I started it, and then I was like, oh, I guess I don't care about Michael Jordan. <laughs> like, I guess I'm <laughs> trying to force myself to, but I really don't care. I did. And then Scottie Pippen's face terrifies me, so I can't look at it for too long. <laughs> can I Can I tell you something? When I was a kid, I had a friend whose dad, it, I, I was four years old making this observation. I'm telling you I was no older. I was like, that guy looks like white Scottie Pippen. And it, is, it is in my head constantly, this friend's dad of mine. So when you say <laughs> Scottie Pippen, I'm beamed back to a scary place. Yuck. Uh, I was actually reminded how much I... I do care about Michael Jordan, if only because I grew up in Milwaukee and during mm-hmm. that era, the Bucks were flops, unlike now, where they're the best team in the league. Everyone in Milwaukee was just sort of like enamored by the Bulls. And also they were Chicago was so close, so it felt like it was like our team as well. Even if you weren't really into sports, like I'm sure you experienced all of that, Lewis, just the like Bulls fervor. 100%. Bulls is ours, Cubs, Bears, everything Chicago belongs to the entirety of the Midwest. I don't know if you feel that way, Lewis. You, you couldn't avoid it. I remember there was a specific time, I think it would have been in 97 when he was about to get the fifth Bulls title. There was this big um, news whatever phony sensationalistic story of which is bigger like the bulls or princess diana being in chicago for the moment and guys you know what team i was on but (laughs) um, but uh, no i mean like you were obsessed with and like whatever you watched him in the jam video with michael jackson or you watched uh space jam which i had to see like what like why how was i brainwashed into needing to see space jam because like lola bunny that's not a complex female character why you know what i mean it's also just so much fun watching the footage and seeing how much of a celebrity he was. And remembering that just like celebrity in the 90s was so different than it is now, where 
we have access to celebrities going live constantly. Like I was laying in bed the other day with insomnia and opened up Instagram and Billie Eilish was on Instagram live at like 3.30 I watched that. I'm so embarrassed that I watched that. <laughs> Not only did I watch that, little girls were going live with her and I screen recorded for them as an act of charity so I could send it to them. Like, they're crying. Absolutely They bawling. were sobbing like new kids on the block had just raised their t-shirts and showed an app. Um, <laughs> but watching the footage it's so fun to be taken back to that era and uh, what's actually really exciting about the series is that it's 10 episodes and they're airing two every sunday and so apparently um adam silver who's the current um commissioner of the nba um was the head of the nba entertainment division back then and in 97 he convinced michael jordan to let the whole season be filmed and there was an agreement that the footage could not be released until both sides agreed it could be released Mm. so that's why all of this footage has sat in a vault since 98 and it's just basically like unprecedented access to the bulls team in mj's last season so it is footage we've never seen and it's a different side of him it sort of reminds me of um when we were watching like Beyonce's Homecoming, you know, seeing that perfectionism that's in Michael Jordan and seeing how he lashes out at other teammates who aren't reaching that level of perfection of him. Uh, and it's just really interesting seeing this side of him because he was so private during that era and, you know, seeing him even joking around with teammates and like expressing things that we've never seen on camera. It's just, oh, that's cool. It's, 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 it's a real good insight into him as a human being. Uh, by the way, I also just want to say to Aida's point about being bombarded with it as a kid. I mean, I really remember everybody on the team. So you would remember like Steve Kerr, Tony Cooper, yes. just like, yeah. why, why Lewis? Why would I know those names? I mean, it's just- Steve <laughs> Kerr is still hot. Steve oh, Kerr yeah. still hot. He is fine. Uh, yes. And young Phil Jackson was a snap. <laughs> <laughs> That's, you know, I think that counts as a hot take. I thought we were done with hot takes, but I think <laughs> Old photos of him when he played for the Knicks, he is just like this tall, lanky, sort of boy you'd see at Akbar. Wow. That's an LA reference, guys. Wow. Look it up. Yeah, Phil Jackson was hot then. <laughs> Um, I really like it. It was it was very it's very riveting, and I've always said the thing that helps me get into sports more is the soapy drama of it all. So I know, right? I feel the same way. That's yeah. what, what's good about the Olympics. Yeah, yeah. So seeing all of that stuff is helpful, and it's like then you want to watch a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Too bad. Friday Night Lights <laughs> had it right. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, all right. When we are back. Allison Pill. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see footprints in the sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? <laughs> No? Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. 
girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And <laughs> I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain mm. it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. <laughs> We are excited to be joined by Allison Pill today. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for having me. You guys can't see Allison Pill, but she like has this freshly showered, like vibrant, ready to hit the day look. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's cleaning day here at our house. The weekly cleaning day really pops up on you. I find the fact that you're doing it weekly is noble work. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's just, it's like with a cat and a dog and a toddler, it really, you let it go and then suddenly you're living in fuzzballs only. Mm. (laughs) Uh, I'm really excited to have you here. I feel like we've enjoyed watching your work for so long and it's so exciting to see you doing such really great work now on Devs and Picard. I'm a Star Trek fan. So. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a cool time <laughs> for that. Not generally. <laughs> it's been a terrible time. It's the worst time, but yeah. What have you been like consuming and watching during all of this? I feel like we haven't asked anyone that that we've interviewed. I've been watching uh, The Plot Against America mm-hmm. on HBO, which is great. Um I've been reading this book, The Warmth of Other Suns. Yes. About the Great Migration mm-hmm. by Isabel Wilkerson, which is epic. And I'm hoping that I'll finish it by the end of quarantine, maybe. It's a great, great book. God, it's fantastic. You have time. Yeah, I know, I know. I do. I do have time. And then there's and then there's the toddler homeschool bit. So I actually don't I have less time. I mean, even even non-quarantine times, it's actually on set that I'm able to do, like at work, that I'm able to do most reading just because there's always a person who's like, hey, we need you for an interview. (laughs) 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 Yeah, you've had to put on the teacher hat. I mean, I'm sure that's probably easy for you, but how's that been going? It's, um, we just made a bird feeder. (laughs) Uh, What else? She did a book of counting today. It's, It's been, it's actually been... It's been really interesting um, and and in some ways really grounding because like you are planning your day around a small person's um, vision of what is happening, of like what the coronavirus is, what why people are in masks and, um, you know, trying to keep calm in the midst of it. It actually kind of helps me because otherwise I think I'd be a paranoid mess most of the time. And, mm-hmm. and I sort of only have moments of that um, in the day. Speaking of like even paranoia and your show, Devs, that you're on, I want to hear what it was like working with 
Alex Garland, who I think is amazing. Yeah. Uh, I I was such a huge fan of Ex Machina and then Annihilation. Two of my favorite moments in cinema in the past few years were the dancing scene in Ex Machina and then like the the bear in Annihilation. And you're on devs playing a scientist and it's a series about a tech company in Silicon Valley. But of course there are mysterious things going on that involve multiverses and things that I will not spoil for people who haven't seen it yet. But the entire series has aired on FX and is available on Hulu right now. I mean, I think Alex, and I, and I don't use the term lightly, I really don't. Um, I, I, I agree with most people thinking it is overused, but I think genius does come up. Like, I don't know what other way to describe him because he's smart enough to have come up with a way to explore determinism in eight episodes, you know, to, to really understand the physics behind that first. And then second, to come up with the, how do you visually extend the idea of multiple branches, like near infinite branches of every moment in time? And it's just simple. And we ended up, he ended up choosing kind of the simplest option. And it's one of those things where he can avoid overcomplication of these huge topics that make them a little more easy to digest, but at the same time, they're indigestible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, oh, near infinite branchings of every single action of every single person. Like, cool. I can't even begin to comprehend. Um, but <laughs> there's a handy, you know, visual cue at the very least. It was a joy to work with him. He's one of the best collaborators I've ever had the chance to work with, just in terms of his um, humility in collaboration of saying like, not my idea. It's a really good one. You know, like, it's like directors can take credit for it. And I think many people do take credit for those those little moments of happenstance or whatever else. But he's really wonderfully not like that. His ability to work within a group is the thing that sets him apart from so many auteur guys. <laughs> the best ones work in groups. The best ones, you know, accept the collaboration. An auteur with social skills does strike me as unusual. I'm <laughs> thrilled to hear that. <laughs> Alison Pill, when I think of you, I think of kind of two kind of branches of characters. Speaking of multiverses, one is yes. I think routinely you play naifs, or I don't even know how to say that word, N-A-I-F, you know, where we're yeah. like, like, because innocence plays on your face a lot. And I've thought this ever since. Me and My Shadows, which is one of my favorite things I've ever seen on TV. Meryl Streep uh, famously once said that Judy Davis and Me and My Shadows, one of the greatest performances ever committed to film. Truly, truly. Yes, but also uh, in Devs, and I'll say also in Miss Sloan, you play a character who has like, uh, a scheming quality. It's like these are two things that f- seemingly don't have any intersection, but you play them both so well. Um, what do you feel like is the arithmetic mean of what you play? Like, what do you feel like is like the Allison Pill signature type role? I've gotten the chance to do a lot of theater, and in theater, there was always less typecasting for me. Mm-hmm. It's just interesting because I've played like other kind of either sassy or slightly evil damaged people on stage a bunch more than I have on film. I mean, Reasons to be Pretty, especially. <laughs> I saw I saw you in Reasons to be Pretty, and you were oh. truly wicked in that role. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think the Alison Pill role mean might be in Snowpiercer. Mm. Just because mm. it's like 
really innocent, really weird, and also shoots everybody. I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, we all learned something um, just now. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm beyond yeah. it just being just, the mean. Well, you have like so many standout roles in movies that not only did I love those movies, if they were like DVDs, if DVDs were a viable option, I would have bore holes in like Scott Pilgrim versus the world. <laughs> Even Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen, if I'm being fully honest with myself. And Milk as oh, well. Oh, I get it. Yeah, all, all those movies. So is there like a type of role that you tend to enjoy playing the most? Man, I've had the best year. I did three TV shows kind of within a calendar year-ish. I did Devs, which was just this complicated wonderful woman, um, hyper smart and actually hyper emotional. Um, but the slow game of the series allowed that to develop for the viewer where you can kind of write her off like, oh, she's just a really smart scientist and doesn't smile. And it's actually much more than that. Um, and then on Picard, I got to play this again, really smart, very different person who's, and, and Picard definitely more plot driven in terms of its effects on character where, you know, it's the things that, that happen to her that sort of change her as we go. But it's again, just like a really interesting, complicated woman. And then I just shot a series right after that set in the fifties. And I got to play somebody who is very different from either of those people. And pretty much the villain. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Uh, I'd say it's like very, very much the villain. Not a great lady. <laughs> um, but playing all three of them, they couldn't, um, it would be very strange for the three of them to be in a room together. They wouldn't get along at all. Um, but it's sort of interesting to go. I mean, I think we all contain multitudes and just like exploring these little, these shifts in character of playing these completely different people who wouldn't like each other, wouldn't get along, have very little in common, or in some cases do. I mean, you know, Gerardi and Katie could talk physics, but Gerardi's experience of physics is, you know, centuries later. So I don't even know what, mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what they were talking about. I've just been given the gift of playing um, slightly more complicated women than I think have been typically seen. And I think TV has been especially, theater has been good at it for a long time. I think TV is catching up in terms of, it's nonsense to say the anti-heroine because I just don't, I just don't like that term. I don't like anti-hero. I don't, I don't understand what that means. Mm -hmm. um, but I think complicated heroes and heroines. Mm -hmm. um, you brought up Snowpiercer, which is with the great Bong Joon-ho and you've worked with Alex Garland. Uh, what draws you to a collaborator? You know, I've, you're working with uh, Michael Chabon on uh, Picard. You know, you've worked with Joe Montello. Um, just so many people that I admire who create such great work. What draws you to working with these collaborators? Or, or do they sort of seek you out just because they love your work and have found you? Alex just sort of was like, I think you're the person for this um, mm. and sent me the scripts and said, would you like to do this? <laughs> yeah, Alex, I would like to do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, uh, Director Bong, we had a really funny Skype meeting and that was the only sort of meeting we had in which he told me that, you know, I'd read the script and I was like, this is just wonderful, marvelous. And I'd loved his other films. And then he said in the middle of this Skype meeting, that my cat repeatedly interrupted. Um, <laughs> like, do, I think she should be eight and a half months pregnant. And I was like, yeah, you're, you're seriously fucked up, man. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> um, I honestly don't, 
don't know. I'm very lucky to have worked with these really amazing people in leadership positions. Like I've, I've learned so much from them. And director Bong is another one who I just had the best time with again, collaboration. And again, a very strange working environment in that we have, um, everything is storyboards. So like the call sheet of the day, the sides are all the actual shots. Like he has essentially shot the movie before we've started. So each shot of the movie was already in a storyboard with the line that it covers. <laughs> so, and for some people that would be really controlling because you're like, oh, I'm not like, what if I give you a moment in between, you know, like what? And he's like, just put, you have to put that in the shot. Like if you want that moment, you put it in the shot. And it's actually incredibly freeing because you're like, I know exactly when I'm going to be on camera, according to this giant, you know, script comic book, <laughs> because there's always that thing in the edit where you're like, wait a minute, I had meant for that to go there, you know, mm -hmm. and like that look was meant for a different person and you made it look like I made, you know, whatever. And, and you feel manipulated. And in this, there's absolutely no manipulation. He's like, this is how it is <laughs> <laughs> from watching of course and being a huge fan like i was saying of alex garland it's very clear he gets so immersed in his subject matter and the theory of it so that he knows how to write circles around it but you're like you're not a stranger to playing science fiction roles and speculative fiction roles but how intrigued do you get in like quantum mechanics and determinism and processing machines before you take a role like devs well in high school, I read this book called The Dancing Wooly Masters by Gary Zukov that described the dual slit experiment. And I remember being 15 and going like, this is what I want to study. Because it's mind blowing. It really is. You're like, what are you talking about? The photon is going through both until we look at it and then it goes through one. Mm -hmm. What are you even talking about? <laughs> that defies everything I know about the world. Um, if I'd been better at calculus, I would have gone into <laughs> quantum physics. Maybe there's a world where I did. Um, but if you want to learn about physics, you can watch some of the best lecturers on physics on YouTube. Um, and so I did a lot of that. I read a briefer history of time, not a brief history of time, but Stephen, there's a reason that Stephen Hawking's, you know, Stephen Hawking um, <laughs> yeah. really did write uh, an accessible um, history of science because it is, it's like, what I, what I wished as I read these books was that we'd had a course in high school about the history of science, about the, it, just more generally the history of thought, because it's so interesting. You see these ideas arrive at the same time in different places between two scientists who never met. But you see like the, the shifting in thought and you see it happening of what you needed before that. And, it, and I mean, it's an argument for determinism as well, um, that each thing is brought on by a previous cause. But it's really interesting to note that without even knowing the, um, the particular theories, just the sort of general notions of it, of like what Newton was going for, like why, why Niels Bohr was like, whoa, this is mind-blowing. You know, and looking at all of those was really... Um, was fascinating beyond even just getting into the the mind blowing nature of what does the fact that it, that that a photon going through this slit have to do with the fact that suddenly it's decided? Yeah, I got into it. No, yeah, it's been it's been a while since the Keep It interview has made me want to re want to read David Foster Wallace. Like you're doing great. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I think you actually gave us a brief history of time. That was really <laughs> shocking. A briefest history of time by Alison Pill. Thank you. I also want, I wanted to ask you also um, uh, two 
uh, I think of your most awesome projects. I brought up Me and My Shadows before, uh, which starred Judy Davis. And then also when you were on Broadway in Three Tall Women with Glenda Jackson, specifically yes. these two women, first of all, I mean, just actresses I'm obsessed with. Just I, I, I love that kind of person, just like a hard-banged, you know, uh, uh, you, you can't look away from her and there's like a bitterness and a rancor that usually like gets to the screen. But also as people, I am truly, I say this with awe and respect, afraid of them. They really have like a, a larger than life. You can't take your eyes off of them because they are so commanding. Yeah. And I want to say, what was it like working with people like that? Because I have to say about you, as talented as you are, I am not afraid of you and I am afraid of these people. You know, <laughs> I have to say Judy was magical in that performance and in that time and also so flipping kind. She's obviously in like all of the scenes and working her took us off all the time in this most draining role ever. And then she came in, there's a scene when we have the, we have the phone call together where I say like, basically, I'm not going to live with you anymore. And she came in to do like, not just off camera, but like did the phone call with me, was there for every take of that phone call to be the other person on the line so that it wasn't like 99% of phone calls on film. You just have the script supervisor reading you those off camera lines. And she came and was just like available. And it was just the most generous thing. Like she is a pro as hard and as like commanding and scary as she is. She's also incredibly kind and generous. And Glenda is <laughs> also scary. Glenda's just fucking scary. Yeah. She's just scary. <laughs> she didn't um, show up to collect either of her Oscars. That is a message. I mean, she is here not to mess around. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, she's such a... Like literally, and I heard, that, so, okay, so Lori and, and Joe and I would just be like, what are we going to do? Because she'd just be like, are they going to do that? During rehearsal throughout, like looking at me and Lori being like, are they going to do it like that? And we'd be like, well, <laughs> yeah, Glenda, that was the plan. <laughs> we weren't thinking about doing it like that. Obviously not now. Um, but hilariously, hilariously, um, Patrick Stewart it, like Glenda's basically the reason I'm on Picard because I got the okay from Glenda, which was not entirely expected because you're just like, I don't know. She might hate me. I don't know. <laughs> um, and she, she, I guess Patrick called her and asked after me and, and she was like, she's all right. So I got the Picard gig through her. And then Patrick and I were talking. He was talking about um, he actually, which just must have been the most stunning effing thing in the world did Hedda Gabler with her. Oh, right. Mm. Which, like, get out. I mean, famous production. Yeah. Anyway, Patrick said that she would do the exact same thing back then, where she'd just, like, look at Patrick and be like, is he going to do it like that? <laughs> so I kind of felt better. Like, Laura, like hearing that, I was like, oh, it just never changed. She's always been just like that. And it's so <laughs> amazing and is, like, incredible and is such a gift to watch and listen to and such a badass and an inspiration but also just like doesn't give a fuck about what you think at all, mm -hmm. at all. <laughs> this is just lastly, like I've enjoyed seeing you in theater, um, maybe even more than, you know, seeing you in film too, just cause like I'm, I love theater so much and I, I did see your reasons and I did see Three Tall Women as well. And um, I just wondering what about theater excites you still in you know this modern time and sort of like if there is some role that you're still looking to play you know I feel like 
you said there's not a lot of typecasting in theater as opposed to film. So I feel like you could play Hedda if you wanted to. Is that something you want? Yeah, <laughs> I'm actually talking to two friends about doing a version of Hedda right now. Oh, wow. Yeah, there are, there are. I mean, listen, and some of them I got time for, like Arkadna cannot fucking wait. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never done Chekhov. I've never done Shakespeare. Mm. There is something about tapping into live storytelling. I know we were painting on cave walls, but I've got to imagine that we were telling stories first. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like sitting around the fire, we had some myths, we had some times, you know, like roasting the whatever, Wolverine, the Wolverines. Are the <laughs> sure. Yeah. The famous That's Paleolithic Wolverines. <laughs> Why you would choose it? Anyway, whatever, we're going with it. When you were roasting Wolverines around the fire in games, um, Zoom is fantastic. It's a fantastic technology. What would we do without it in this time? Like, how did they get to ni- through 1918 without Zoom? You know, <laughs> but um, there is nothing like sitting in a room full of people watching the same thing. Um, I just don't think there is a replacement for it because the fourth wall, it's just, it's just not a wall. It's, there's no wall. <laughs> there's literally a bunch of people sitting in a room together. And my friend Chris Thor, who's a wonderful theatrical director, brought it up to me in the most beautiful way um, when we used to sit around in the East Village drinking and talking about theater, as you do. We would talk about, like, he would talk about what would happen, like an alien being coming down and seeing theater and just being like, wait, what? <laughs> All of these people are silently sitting in the dark watching people play pretend up there, like for some sort of moral reason, for some sort of dramatic reason. Like what, why don't they get up? Like, what are they, they're involved, but they're just sitting as spectators for this entertainment that's sort of like, why? You know, it's not a game. It's like this weird alchemy. When you get a good audience, when you get a crummy audience, forget about it. Then I wish they would just <laughs> go home. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for being here today, Allison. Oh my gosh, thank you guys. This was really, really nice. (laughs) Thank you. I'm glad I showered for the occasion. (laughs) Likewise. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So... No, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. As I said, on Friday, the bolt cutters, they were fetched. Oh no! This is this going to be a new era? Is this going to be nice out, Ira? But just another phrase. This is how bored we are on Twitter, by the way. You introduce just a verb to it, and this begins. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, I don't know what knives out era you're referring to. I oh my god! Anyway, okay, this uh, is on- <laughs> revisionist history. I don't like this. On Friday, Fiona Apple released her fifth studio album, "Fetch the Bolt Cutters," and. We haven't stopped fetching them since. <laughs> okay, Fiona, that was Fiona was like, oh, so you guys are talking about albums with no skips? Here. Here you go. Truly. I mean, Here, she... Eat up. I've listened to it, and I will say that she is still an icon, a legend, and she is the moment. 
And by the way, no one really expected her to be the moment after all this time. She, her her really? last albums, when she put them out, were appreciated. And, and, and there was like a real groundswell to get her attention specifically for Extraordinary Machine in the 2000s. But still, it, it never reached this fever pitch level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. I feel like I was aware of Fiona Apple you know, from the title era, just because, like, everyone knew Criminal and, you know, Shadowboxer and the whole, um, this is all bullshit speech. MTV VMAs where she said, this world is bullshit. And it was very, um, it had the angst of, like, someone from PETA protesting from a tree. That kind of energy. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, truly missed that era of popular musicians who would, still get play on MTV who could not give a fuck. Right. Well, because like not everybody was just a pop star. Like there was still an element of like protest in music or what I'll call alternative angst, you know? Yeah. And then in college, I really remember getting into Extraordinary Machine. And But I feel like Idler Wheel sort of came and went for me. Although having revisited it, I truly love that album. Mm-hmm. Maybe even more than extraordinary machine but fetch the bolt cutters is is great it's great i mean of course it was going to be great right also a hard listen uh, yeah oh, totally 100%. i i i i i would say that in another life fiona apple would be writing plays for the wooster group <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's great uh, i'd be like sitting in downtown new york watching a play and going well there was a lot of screaming. There was some <laughs> machinery. There was some dogs barking. <laughs> I feel like her album was sponsored by Maytag because she uses like a garbage disposal, a dishwasher, and every piece of silverware that she could find in her Venice home. I was just like, Fiona, relax. On first listen, I will admit, did not like it. Like, I loved the, whatever, screaming, doing her thing, being Fiona Apple, but I did not enjoy it. Until I really sat with the album maybe three or four times. I listened to it a lot. No, I think there are elements of it that are an acquired taste. Namely, the um, the elements of it that make it feel like the quintessential quarantine album, right? Like truly banging on the walls, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what people are most connecting to in this case, and, and it's not that she wasn't this before, but it's the directness of the music and the lyrics, which are, I mean, just calling out rape by name. Uh, yep. uh you know the under the table, uh, just the sense of I'm actively fighting and I'm and I'm I'm being literal in my word choice when I talk about fighting. What I can't get over, the thing that sticks with me most about the album is the song's called "For Her." Is that right? Yeah, for her. The reference to singing in the rain, "Good Morning." Of course, uh, you caught that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because first of all, I love when artists cleverly reference something like that. That's like a real treat for, we'll say, Turner Classic Movies fans, one. Mm-hmm. But two, um, it's so twisted and it's so, now I can't watch the original Good Morning from Singing in the Rain without thinking of this heart-pounding uh, 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 rape pl- proclamation. Yeah. Um, it reminds me of uh, PJ Harvey on her first album, Dry, one of the choruses of a song is going to wash that man right out of my hair again and again and again. And it's really frantic. And it's also referencing South Pacific. South Pacific. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, I my favorite track on the entire thing was Relay, which is funny because I just spent all of the last episode making fun of you for all of the Sinead music because it was so Irish. <laughs> and then Relay comes out and you can really hear the, the influences. But um, I was looking at the lyrics and she goes, and it took me immediately. Evil is a relay sport when the one who's burned turns to pass the torch. 
And if you look into when she wrote that, she said that she wrote that when she was 15. Scribbled that into a journal. So, like, everything about Fiona has been with her. She's been this woman. She's been this great writer. She's been this wonderful artist. And that's, ugh, those lyrics are going to stay with me for a long time. And she's talking about abuse and how abuse gets passed down. So, Fiona. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the album really sort of hit with me. Relay is a favorite of mine, too, along with Ladies. Uh, I, I took just an, a walk at night and was listening to the album and i feel like that really put me in the headspace in it i just had to like exit my apartment and not listen to it in the same space that i'm in and that seems so minuscule but we're in the same space we've been in the same space for a month and listening to every new album in this space is just it's not helpful yeah (laughs) Uh, it, it and it um just feels so claustrophobic. So like taking a walk at night helped me consume the album differently. And um, I just I love the sounds of it. I've always loved this sort of alternative rock style that has also fueled a lot of some of the current hip hop landscape. Yeah, uh, I would I mentioned earlier that um my beautiful dark twisted fantasy was the last album to get a 10 by pitchfork and it's so interesting to me because they both debuted at the beginning of decades and sort of like dominated and changed what music became the rest of the decade i don't know how much this will have that affect the rest of this decade just because of how quarantine and everything else is fucking happening i mean we still have nine and a half years right but um just going back to that kanye of it all it a lot of his sound, you know, is shifted into like hip hop, but also trip hop and like metallic and noise and shit from like Yeezus and everything else and recording mm-hmm. on his phone. And it reminded me of how even his initial debut, uh, the college dropout, which changed so much for the hip hop landscape, was influenced by Fiona Apple. Right. A, yes. Um, mm-hmm. There's an interview. In Interview Magazine, which um, she did with him, uh, which, by the way, is is an amazing time capsule issue because Angelina Jolie is also in that issue interviewing Anne Hathaway. Oh, my God. Cute. (laughs) We used to do the funniest little things called magazine features, and we would make celebrities do them. You guys don't understand. It was real. Um, But in that interview they they bond over how much they love john brian and um that they want to go see a show at the largo together and um he says when i listen to your shit i hear similarities and i actually wanted to work with him so i could be like the rap version of you that was one of my main goals the albums that inspired me for late registration were your first one title and portishead's dummy um but especially your lyrics and how you sing And, you know, I feel like as a hip hop fan and, you know, just sort of like a black kid growing up in the Midwest who mainly listened to like a lot of hip hop and R&B, the transition in later high school and college into shit like Portishead was easier for me because it, it has a lot of the same sonic qualities. I mean, there are so many Fiona Apple songs that just sort of have this like hip hop appeal to it you know like temps off of extraordinary machine um like even um heavy balloon has some of that stuff too which i love um, i love that song i was gonna say portishead and uh 
Fiona Apple and and a lot of hip hop. I, I think what bonds specifically the first two of those is there's like a foreboding quality in the music. There's like a uh, I'm uh, haunted is a cliched word in this uh, case, but there's like it's Fiona's bluesiness mixed with the kind of bubbling under sense of something like in this case in this album a rage uh, spilling forth. But there's just a sense of a purgation about her music and the music sonically has the suspense that adds to that well. Yeah, and if you listen to specifically like late registration, like a lot of those songs like Bring Me Down with Brandy, Addiction, those are hip-hop songs, but they also have this sort of chilly quality to them. Even talking about last week, you know, when we talk about The weekend, you know, like it's just taking general pop music and making it sound a bit more creepy. Um, one thing I really loved about that interview magazine too was uh, he asked her how is your vocabulary so ill were you tight in vocabulary in your school and she (laughs) says no I just love words I love looking at phrase books and word origin books because they have so many obsolete never used phrases and then you can build a rhythm on them oh that's chic well also along uh, along those lines something that stuck out to me was one of the plainest metaphors on the album, which is from that song, Heavy Balloon. Mm-hmm. Uh, the I spread like strawberries, I climb like peas and beans. Like, to me, that sounds like, one, like gothic country music from the 30s, like the Carter <laughs> family or something. You know, like, you, you, know when, you know when, like, country music was made by, like, scary-looking white people. Like, truly, yeah. yes. like, like, freaks in a field. Um, I thought she was the witch from Into the Woods. Yeah, like, exactly. No more green. She's just seen my nectarines. <laughs> also, the bluesy quality in her voice made it also sound kind of like a Nina Simone song, who is also the queen mm. of the foreboding, if you ask me. Yes. There, speaking of that, there was this TikTok recently about how um, like someone made a playlist of music to be having sex to during quarantine, and like some Nina Simone was on it, and there was this tweet where someone was like, I'm not fucking the Nina Simone. You can't eat pussy to 12 years of slave. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Thinking about strange fruit. No, re- no, no, thank you. Right. And, <laughs> no, and, thank and you. that's making me think too, like this album is sort of like sexy and foreboding, but like imagine trying to have sex, or fetch the bolt cutters. <laughs> Maybe it's appropriate that we are listening to this in our homes with no one else there. You can only have sex to this album if you're someone who, for whom sex involves bolt cutters. Like, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, you're a big fan of The Fall, where the um, title came from. Oh, I forgot about that. From the profile in The New Yorker, I totally forgot about where that comes from. And I mean, I found my own interpretation that was along the same lines of getting a woman who's been trapped in this you know, in a yeah. traumatic state. But yeah, I totally forgot about that. I kept forgetting about that and just thinking of someone saying fetch the bolt cutters in the intonation that Nicole Kidman says, bring me the anatomy book. <laughs> exactly. In, in the beguiled, <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. <Yeah>. <laughs> fetch <laughs> me the bolt cutters. <laughs> but to be immediately inspired by a feminist Gillian Anderson TV show, I, mm. that's when I realized Fiona Apple was my friend, that we could hang out. Yes. I didn't know yeah. she was that's watching I, TV, so I'm just happy to hear that. <laughs> that's when I realized she can say faggot. Right. <laughs> we should get that uh, list together. Let's get that list together. The who can say faggot list? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm sure people will love us. Oh, yeah. No. Oh, wait. I don't get enough people in my DM saying, I don't like the one time you said the F word. I'm like, girl, that word makes me feel safe around my friends, so I'm going to keep saying it. <laughs> One thing I did want to hit on, though, when you were bringing it up, uh, Aida, about the stuff that she was writing in high school and um, just 
how that has come back into her space as a musician, which also was so interesting to me as a writer uh, when people talk about that, because I don't know, the babyface and Teddy Ridley um, Instagram battle that happened last night too. Oh, I'm sorry. What did last you say? Night I, too. I, I, what did you say? <laughs> that I happened. Hear you, Teddy Ridley. <laughs> when that happened last night, uh, babyface was talking about like a song that he had written. I think even part of like Count on Me with like Whitney and like Cece, or maybe it was another song, but just about like how he had written that melody at 15 in high school when he was in love. And then all of a sudden it becomes a huge hit later. And just thinking about the influences on us when we're young. And I love how that Shamika story just took over the internet. The Shamika said I had potential moment. Well, it's easily, uh, <laughs> I think it's it's one, it's a second favorite, but it's a very good song. And also I think you're about to get into it, but her willingness to dwell on the past and accept that and talk about like middle school as if it's not a distant, distant memory, but something that she's still that she still, you know, affects her today. Yeah. Um, I had also a different take on that Shamika said I had potential story than a lot of people. I found it almost sort of self-deprecating in a way because, one, she talked about how she didn't even remember Shamika was this real person and then an uh, administrator confirmed that Shamika was, in fact, a real person. And this Shamika said I had potential story. I'm thinking about... Honey, that's shade. <laughs> I'm th- yes, it's shade. <laughs> I'm thinking about what it would take for a black girl to tell this white girl you have potential back then. And what is she is really telling you, Fiona Apple, is that you're doing too much. Get it together. Go work on your craft. I don't know what this is. Yes. Okay? If I'm like, yeah, girl, you have potential. <laughs> <laughs> and then you walk away. <laughs> You think you think you have potential as code for rein it in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah There's a lot like, of moving parts. Figure out which do, ones need to stay. Do less, Fiona. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Leave the bolt cutters at home <laughs> next next time. Okay? Take off you take don't... off one bolt cutter before you leave the house. Yeah. <laughs> Girl, I'm just trying to play Foursquare carry... and you're screaming. Like... <laughs> you don't need to carry the bolt cutters to every class with you. <laughs> Fetch the bolt cutters for the Tamagotchi in your locker, Fiona. <laughs> anyway, I'm very excited to continue listening to this album. It has been a breath of fresh air in the midst of this quarantine. And um, thanks, Fiona. Yeah, Thank love you. ya. When we're back, keep it. And we're back with our favorite segment of the episode. It is Keep It. We have a lot of words this week. I know I we do. We do have a lot of words. <laughs> I, um, I'll i go first. My Keep It. Well, first I wanted my Keep It to be Teddy Riley's audio, but that was Twitter's whole Keep It. So I'm going to just leave that alone. But He um, was truly a mess. I'm sorry, Lewis. We talked before about how Babyface was going against Teddy Riley in one of the Instagram battles that keeps happening. Mm-hmm. And... I, I do love Teddy Riley's production. He created an era, but I was always like, the face was going to win. And <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, the battle was supposed to happen this weekend. And then Teddy Riley like tried to like do this whole fucking setup and record it for like his own like site or something. So it ended up echoing and messing up the sound and everything. And then the battle didn't happen. And after an hour of waiting for this shit. And then it happened again Monday evening and 
like, does this thing not have Wi-Fi? Exactly. <laughs> the the oh, phone no. was awful. Everything was just like, Babyface was just so put out. And he was, he was there. He was from his home in a red velvet blazer <laughs> with drinking like cognac out of a wine glass with candles lit behind him and his two Grammys on display. <laughs> and when Teddy's Instagram live cut out, he just pulled out his guitar and was playing songs. He played his Eric Clapton song. He was like, y'all know I got white hits too. Oh yeah. That's the man <laughs> who gave us take a bow. So yes. Yeah. Oh um, yes. It the was definitive the most- Madonna ballad. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> it was the most R&B peacocking fuckery. I didn't even tune in for the second time. But um, <laughs> do love those two. Best to them. I, I hope they had fun. Now, the um, baby released yet another album this week, to which I would say keep it. Because he's so talented and he's fine as hell. Like, he could do so much. He could probably fart on a track and I would still listen to it. But You said that about Drake last week, girl. I say that about most men that are that attractive. I'm sorry. Are you just into farting? (laughs) (laughs) That's my sexual play. You can sort this out in another Zoom chat with a professional. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. Some talk therapy professionals. But... Um, I just want to say this man is great. I want to preface with that. I do think he's very talented. There's not a lot of rappers that come out of North Carolina that are doing as well as he's doing. Now, the album is called Blame It On Baby, which, fine, I will, because it was bad. <laughs> and and I need you to address that, Jonathan. It's so disappointing because he keeps, like, he's on this high of he's been doing well. He's He's a wonderful rapper, all of that. He's flooding us with mediocre content, like... If Fiona Apple's album got a 10, his got a 6.8 or something on Pitchfork, which I only use when it serves my argument. (laughs) Pitchfork only (laughs) works when it serves my argument. So I'm just begging you, Jonathan, like write some different lyrics, right? Sit down. Don't take three months to write a whole studio feature album. Sit down, write a good album. I'm begging you. You are so good. Like this is just, you have a huge platform. Please just use it. Like don't fuck the game up with trying to flood us with these albums. He's talking about PTSD, depression, like these very, very weighty issues thematically, but then just isn't addressing them in the best way. But he did give us an Ashanti and Meg Thee Stallion track, which I didn't think I would ever see. So The, the only good song on that album, Nasty, and it holds up to Yeah, that one's name. amazing. It, it, is a, it is a raunchy track. Yeah, it's about farting. What can I say? <laughs> Aida. His face. Ira, 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 Ira. We're, we're in the gutter. We're just in the gutter. That's where we left. Um, I, I always am sympathetic with Ashanti because her entire narrative has become comparisons to Beyonce because of that one stupid headline once upon a time that said that Beyonce is no Ashanti. And so, like, whatever. Yeah. The irony of Beyonce becoming Jesus, you know, is... Uh, Ashanti is stuck with that. And J-Lo just is Ashanti. So there's that too. <laughs> yeah, she definitely vanessa um Ashanti and stole yeah. her voice for multiple <laughs> albums. <laughs> did, you guys, did you guys see her performing the Barbra Streisand song on the Together at Home? Can I tell you something? I thought she did fine with it because based on what I thought was going to happen because you just don't cover Barbra Streisand, particularly <laughs> if you are, you know, if, if your best vocal to date is... What exactly? No Mayamas from On the Six? I mean, like, I don't know what her comparable vocal would be. She sang Funny Girl, and I was like, yeah, girl, that is funny that you're trying to do all that. <laughs> she should have sang... Yeah, girl, that is funny. <laughs> she should have sang something from Guilty. Oh, my God. People <laughs> 80s ignore Barbara. That, 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 like, sexy 70s Gib era of Barbara. It's, it's sultry, and I feel like 
you know, J-Lo could have done that. 80s Barbara, when she had that root beer colored afro, was just <laughs> the best. <laughs> Unmistakable. Her only bad performance was in the 80s that was uh, nuts. Doesn't hold up. <laughs> what year was Her Star Is Born? Late 70s? Like 79? 76. 76. Also bad. Oh, terrible. And so long. Yeah. Yes. Sorry, Chris Christopherson. Right. Who is also, as my dad will tell you, the worst actor. <laughs> Everybody in the 70s agreed he was like not a good actor. It was like, it was, it, that was just in the air. You talked about how Chris Christopherson is not a good actor. Brilliant songwriter. Lewis's dad loves Jeremy Irons. Hey, it's Chris Christopherson. Yeah, you did learn a lot about Lee Vertle today. I can, yeah. I, I can take more questions later. Louis, yeah. what's your keep it today? Uh, so my keep it this week is to an entire discussion that occurred mainly on the internet where, you know, only the best in discussions occur. Uh, it, be, uh, it was an LA Times story called Enough with the WFH Sweatpants. Dress like the adult you're getting paid to be. Which, okay, first of all, the, the nature of the article is a little bit blamey about just comfort wear at home. We have never, so far in my lifetime, been in more of a you-do-you thing. So don't start dictating to people what they should be dressing like in quarantine, what will make them uh, more professional-looking. Professionalism is a moot uh, concept at the moment. We don't know what that is. It doesn't exist. It's not important to me. Um, in the article, it says... Remember how shocked everyone was in June when then-candidate Andrew Yang turned up at the first Democratic debate without a necktie, or how bonkers people went on that fateful day in 2014 when President Obama had the audacity to wear a tan suit? Your muscle tee and dolphin shorts look, the one you wear as you're trying to navigate Zoom from your home office, is kind of like that. It doesn't matter, but at the same time, it kind of does. No, it doesn't matter. That's what you meant. It doesn't matter. You're trying to pretend there's layers to this issue, and there aren't. However... Then I saw on Reese Witherspoon's Instagram a completely uninteresting meme subject which said, people who are quarantining in jeans, just what are you trying to prove? Look, there's nothing wrong with wearing jeans and jeans are comfortable. We need to stop pretending somehow that life is way more bearable when you are a goddamn mess at home too. Like it's not relatable to pretend that not showering is the life. Guys, showering is good. I enjoy it. It feels right. I feel better when I come out of the shower. I think what most people get out of, say, marijuana, I get from a shower. So I am concerned that we can't just let everybody dress the way they want. Dress how you want. Don't listen to articles about dressing how you don't want. First of all, Reese Witherspoon's Instagram is like made up of memes from t-shirts in tourist locations in Florida. Yeah. So I don't know who I don't know who is running Reese's social media, but it's routinely not good. And and like she'll also use current memes that are happening, but use them in the completely wrong way. It, it, it's something of like if you put a really hot photo up of her and it'd be like Mondays, am I right? And it's like, girl, what are you talking about? That's not funny. Yeah, uh, right. It's done to death. I, I hate the compulsion to hammer home relatability as a funny topic. It's just contrived. Yeah. Uh, also, I do like wearing jeans at home. It's comfortable. Yeah, I'm wearing them right now. It's going great. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing I love more than wearing jeans at home because I, it reminds me of how on TV shows, whenever someone goes to someone's house to talk to them, they're always impeccably like wearing jeans and shoes in their own home. And dressed up. And I'm like, yeah, we should all dress up in our homes. What if you have to flee? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
Anyway, um, my keep it is to a show that I have praised before. I think that um, Karen and I used to talk about Vanderpump Rules all the time on the show and how it was one of the best TV shows on Bravo. Unfortunately, Vanderpump Rules is horrible now, and it is unbearable to watch, uh, particularly this season, because the difference about Vanderpump Rules and like a Real Housewives show is the Real Housewives are wealthy women and or air quotes wealthy women if we're talking about Potomac but um, <laughs> they are women who have some sort of status and are presenting a lifestyle to you and the crux of the show is when people aren't delivering they're they're gotten rid of you know like you cycle in and out of housewives um, the whole concept of Vanderpump Rules is it's a spinoff that Lisa Vanderpump had about this restaurant of young people who were working at her restaurant, Sir, who wanted to be like actors, models, etc. in Los Angeles. And then what happened is sort of what happened with The Hills. They started to become famous from the show. Mm. So as that happens, you know that they're not really going to become those singers or like mm -hmm. actors that they want it to be right like now they're reality tv show people and um the concept of that then is not the same show so it feels so much weirdly scripted when there are scenes of people one still working at sir because we know they don't um talking about missing their shifts or needing to get to work and then like Lisa Vanderpump's involvement in their lives is still weird now, too. Like, maybe the people who initially started on the show, but they've added in new cast members this season to try and keep the show going. And it's just creepy seeing her involved in, like, the lives of, like, these 20-year-olds now who she didn't know before. It's like, why are you asking them about their sex lives, woman? Uh, none of it really works. And unfortunately, because it's not done like a housewives show, there's sort of a clicky sort of friend group to the show, and they decide who they want to film with, they decide what they want to talk about, etc. And if it were an actual real housewives show, so many people would be fired for not producing actual stories that people want to watch on the show. For instance, there's this girl, Lala, um, who is has a husband who is a film producer. Um, and <laughs> They all are. And, like, he's actually worked, like, she was in an Al Pacino film um, because he produced it. Um, her man is the person that Turtle was based on for Entourage. Oh, God. What so an like admirable an actual, man. Yes, right. right. So, like, an actual, like, producer with money. But he is in a feud with 50 Cent currently uh they call fafty um but they're in a feud with 50 cent on social media they've had one all year he's been clowning her man and clowning her not a single bit of that is on vanderpump rules because they don't want to be embarrassed and talk about it and i'm like you're on reality tv a housewife who wants to keep her position on the show would have to put that on camera to keep people interested and to keep herself on the show. But the way that the people on Vanderpump Rules, just because they've been on the show for like seven, like eight fucking years now, get to sort of dictate what they do want to talk about on and off the show is absurd. And I think it's just ruining the show, to be honest. That yeah. kind of reminds me of the difference between like the first season of Jersey Shore and I'll say like whatever the fourth or fifth is just, they're not the same show anymore. Like you can't, 
you just don't get the same dynamic out of having like bona fide stars on a show anymore. I mean, this is an age old reality problem, but I see what you're saying. Yeah. And you know, the shows that manage to beat that are housewives shows sometimes like, like, um, Real Housewives of New York or something, just mostly because those women are still friends. So you're watching the interaction uh, with them. It's there's, and there's still housewives like, making money and having businesses and doing things like that. So you're, there's still the draw of what you were initially watching it for, right? Mm-hmm. But Vanderpump Rules, it doesn't have that same draw anymore. The other show that it works for, we were talking about that before, Aida, The Challenge, that works for me because they are professional reality TV contestants now, and they just come back each year to compete on this intense show, and it's that's fun because you know what they are. You know, that show has morphed from what the initial real world Road Rules Challenge was into this show, and it works now. But just as I said, with like The Hills, like once you get past the conceit of what the show initially was, like what ruined The Hills was the fact that they were never allowed to talk about the fact that they were famous. Right, right. <laughs> well, yeah, on a show like The Challenge, like there's inherent drama to a competition. Like you, you could have, you know, I, I mean, not to be myself, but like, there's a reason why every episode of Jeopardy is good. You know what I mean? Like, you, you, know, you compete again and again and again. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Venom Pump Rule sucks now. Everyone should be watching Summer House. It's great. All right, I'll get on that. Yeah, I know you won't. <laughs> I didn't hear what you said, damn it. <laughs> uh, that's our show this week. Thank you to Fiona Apple for existing. Of course. And. Thank you to Allison Pill for joining us. And breaking physics wide open. It's never going to be the same. Truly. uh, She's going to come back and do our book segment. (laughs) (laughs) She'll be the book. Yeah. Uh, uh, Pod Save Science being launched by Allison Pill next week. There we go. (laughs) We'll see you next week. Keep It is a product of Crooked Media. Caroline Rustin is our producer. It's Caroline Like the Princess, the one you don't care about. Our editor is Bill Lance, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thanks to our digital team, Elijah Cohn and Nadine Melkonian, for filming and editing our video content every week. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream is a total chocolate game changer. We start with unbelievably creamy dark chocolate ice cream. Then we add different chocolate treats, like chocolate cookies, chocolate cake, or chocolate brownies to make four decadent chocolate flavors. Because sometimes the thing that pairs best with chocolate (laughs) is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary Dairy.